Hi and welcome. I am your host, Emigan Awardner, and in my nearly 20-year career as a beauty and health writer, I have interviewed a lot of people, supermodels, entrepreneurs, authors, celebrities, and doctors, and many of these conversations had a real impact on me, and I'd come away feeling inspired, excited, informed, and really empowered, and at the back of my mind, I'd always think, I wish I could just publish the tape so people could really feel that conversation. Well, on this podcast, you get to feel the conversation. I talk with experts, guests, and a few friends who I hope will inspire, inform, and empower you, and maybe also challenge you, whether you're looking for self-help, self-improvement, beauty advice, health insights, business know-how, or just some good old-fashioned life advice and a bit of a laugh. It's all here. Welcome to the show. My guest on this episode of the podcast is author and writer Aaron Gillis. Now, Aaron wrote a book called How to Survive the End of the World When It's in Your Own Head, semicolon, or actually it's a colon, An Anxiety Survival Guide, a little while ago. And it was a book I had on my list to read. Who doesn't have a massively long list of books that they want to read? And if you're a long-time listener, you'll know that deep diving into topics such as anxiety, depression, mental health and the like are not topics that we shy away from here. So when I first heard about Aaron's book, it was extremely appealing. But as often happens, life got in the way. I couldn't devote enough time to read the book. Our diaries wouldn't work to make a recording happen. And before you know it, a year has gone by. Then a few weeks ago, I picked up the book after colour coding my bookcase. People who follow me on Instagram will know all about this. And I started reading it. I got to the end of the first chapter and immediately ran into my office, opened up my laptop and emailed Aaron and asked if he was free over the next few days to record an episode of the podcast. Because after reading those first few pages, I had no doubt this was a book I was going to devour before the end of the day. And what I appreciate about anyone who talks about anxiety but especially Aaron's book, is that while it is beyond helpful to describe what it feels like to experience anxiety, it's even more helpful to offer fellow anxiety sufferers a way out of it. It might be something you always have to manage, but it can be managed. And perhaps one of the messages you'll read time and time again in Aaron's book is give yourself a break. Stop giving yourself a hard time. Be kind to yourself. His point of view is one I appreciate so much because it's honest, raw, really self-deprecating, helpful, and so, so funny. It feels wrong to snort at someone retelling their very sudden, but very real and, yes, visceral panic attack on a high street caused by a children's TV TV character. But listener, I snorted. There were so many times I saw myself in Aaron's retelling of his own experiences, and with every page I turned, I felt empowered, comforted, and reassured. And if you're a long-time listener, you'll know that I'm at a stage where I feel as though I have my anxiety under control in a way I didn't way back when in the earlier podcasts, which was confirmation for me that it doesn't matter where you are in your journey. This book and Aaron's insights can really help anyone. We chatted, it was great, we laughed, we got real and we didn't hold back and I hope this conversation helps you however you're feeling or wherever you feel you are in managing your anxiety and mental health. The links to the book and Aaron will be in the show notes but please do enjoy Aaron Gillies on The Emma Gunn Show. Aaron Gillies, welcome to The Emma Gunn Show, it's lovely to have you on. Thank you so much for inviting me on, it's brilliant. Well, I'm actually uh, chipper as anything because (laughs) I do like to talk about mental health on this podcast in a way that I think will be helpful and of use to my most excellent listeners. And the way that you talk about mental health, the way that you articulate your own experiences and then have investigated the science behind it and things like that is just for me, it's a spot on tone. So thank you for agreeing to come on and talk about 
mental health, basically. My pleasure entirely. <laughs> and I think um, you you've written a book, and I yeah, love sorry, the fact sorry that, the about that. The, the, no, it's brilliant. It's so it's so so good. <laughs> the dedication in that book is for anyone who has ever felt a little bit crazy, which I love. Was that your starting point? Yeah, it was the first thing I wrote. It was the first thing in the pitch as well. Um, just because it doesn't seem a lot of these things seem to be written and. I don't know who the direct audience is when I read a lot of other kind of, I, I don't like the term self-help books, but anything like that. And it seems like I just wanted to write something for anyone that's ever just looked at the mirror and gone, God, you're weird. Bloody <laughs> hell, you're really weird, aren't you? Because that's how I feel every day. And I just thought like, so many people feel the exact same way. And the best thing about the mental health community is that everyone knows that you're not alone. And it doesn't matter how many different symptoms or little neuroses you've got going on you'll probably have one minor thing that someone else is dealing with as well. And if you can just take that one little bit and go, right, someone else is dealing with that thing as well. It just makes you feel so much less alone in the world. And that's so important. Was there, to that point then, you speak about it brilliantly, which we will come on to in detail. But for you, was there ever anybody who spoke about it in a way that stopped it just being encapsulated in your own brain and made you go, oh, other people experience this too? So for me, it was quite an interesting um, way to come to this because I, I I ignored the fact that I had mental health problems for years and I really leaned into the drink. Um, I mean, I still drink nowadays, but nowhere to the excess. I was drinking about a bottle of rum a day. Um, Ooh, yeah, it was a lot. That's punchy. Um, yeah, it was, I was the youngest person in my county to get gout, which uh, was uh, really... Like I still hold on to that as a bad thing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, but no, one night I, but in the midst of all this kind of, I just felt so down. I didn't have any friends. I didn't know what I was doing in my life. I, I was absolutely off my ass. And I wrote this blog on Tumblr, um, which I don't remember writing. I just, I hurled all my thoughts into a keyboard <laughs> and posted it to Twitter the next morning, uh, that night. And then I just passed out in the chair. And I woke up the next morning to so many people saying, don't worry, you've got this, I've dealt with this, or my partner's dealt with this. So, so many different people took so many different aspects of the story and just said that they've been dealing with these sorts of things as well. And it really opened my eyes that, oh, I wasn't just shut in this little box and I wasn't this little creepy weirdo that had been left at the side of society. I was actually just someone going through something that a lot of people have to deal with. And when it came to kind of Getting diagnosed, the first thing I, I did, um, I, I left the uh, the GP like Charlie in the Chocolate Factory when he gets the golden ticket with my prescription in my hand. I'm going to get some Citolopram and I'm going to be fine and everything was marvellous. Um, <laughs> obviously, no, medication isn't the only thing. It goes hand in hand with therapy and those different things and you, we'll probably get into that. Um, yeah. But yeah, and then I just started reading everything I could on the subject Um and, that, and so many brilliant books by so many amazing authors and so many different stories. And I think that's what made it for me was the fact that there were so many different stories with this underlying notion that, do you know what, a lot of people are fucked up. Oh, am I allowed to swear on this podcast? Swear away, my friend. Hey, uh, a lot of people are going through shit and a lot of people are doing things and it's no one's story is ever going to be the same. You're never going to pick up a book and it's never going to be your exact story. Mm. But if you can take... When I started writing my book, I just wanted, if someone could take a sentence away and go, yeah. right, that's me, and I now know I'm not alone, that's what I wanted to do with the entire with the book. And so much of that happened to me. I mean, We're All Mad Here by Claire Easton, um, 
oh god i, I can't think it like that i think that was one of the first books i picked up and it was just it was really brilliant um and then obviously reasons to stay alive by matt haig and mm. um mad girl by Bryony gordon all these kind of different books that are just so many different stories but all with this underlying tone that just really helped you said something there as well that i think is really important the idea of you are not alone and then mm. Even though I've really struggled with it, and I don't know why, I think it must mean I'm a garbage human, but um, Eckhart Tolle's The Power of Now. Mm. When I was reading the introduction, he talks about the fact that he, um, the self, and well, there are two of us here, if I don't like being with myself. And so when you talk about not being alone, sometimes I think what happens with mental health is there isn't, there is almost like another voice in your head that's telling you something that you're then going out and acting on or feeling. And it's about sort of, I don't know, merging the two or making that one be nice to you. Yeah, completely. It's the rational brain versus the irrational brain. And unfortunately, most people with mental health problems listen to the irrational brain more. It's, mm. it's, I always use the analogy of a pub. I always use a pub as an analogy for everything, actually. But um, the, the rational brain and the irrational brain is, is like the rational brain is, is very quiet table in the corner next to the fire. And you're having a conversation with that. And it's very nice, but it's very quiet. But at the bar is the irrational brain. And he's Mm. really loud. He's really drunk. And you can't take your attention away from him. No matter how much you're trying to pay attention to the conversation right in front of you, the loud bit's always going to make more, going to cut through more. And uh, unfortunately, we all just kind of directly go to that irrational brain. It's and it's, it's a really difficult thing to try and train yourself not to do, to go through every single situation of your day. And you've got two different voices saying, we should act like this or we should act like this. And the other one being so loud and mm. so incessant. And you have to go, no, actually, I'm going to think about this for a moment. Because um, we all want to just act on impulse. And the easiest way is usually the, uh, well, the stupid way. <laughs> now, to this point, listening to the loud, irrational, angry man at the bar <laughs> voice. Um Obviously, it's going to be different for everybody. But do you think there is, can you trace it back to a point at where it started? Or do you think that you always had this and it was going to be, it was your lot to have to do a bit of work on it? I think that's the way I got to it. It was the fact that I just, it was, it was my lot. This is the hand I got dealt. Mm. Um, And for so long, I tried to ignore it, much to my physical and emotional detriment. And the moment I started realizing that I had to start dealing with these things because I was the only person that was going to help me out. It doesn't matter what anyone else can do. It's it's such a a really annoying thing as well that you're the only person that can really help you. No matter how much other people love you and how much they want to help you, they're not going to be able to change the way that your brain thinks about situations. They can give you advice and they can support you along the journey, but you have to do all the hard work. And it is fucking hard work. It really undersells how hard it is to rewire your own brain to think in more rational ways or in more just articulate ways. Mm. I think that one piece of advice I got quite early on was just to sit with every single emotion and go, why am I feeling like this? And try and bury, like try and work your way backwards to why you've got into that state you're in at the moment. And I've, I try and do that as much as I can whenever I get angry, whenever I get sad. It's like, what is, is something caused this or is this a, a thing that's been building up for a while? And it, it takes ages. You sat on the sofa just kind of like being very silent, not saying anything to anyone. And then and my wife would just be looking at me going, what the hell is wrong with you? What are you doing this time? 
But actually, and you've spoken about it in your book, and I think with, with, with me as well, a lot of it came down to low self-esteem. So the idea of actually facing it and trusting me to be the problem solver was yeah. one of the biggest hurdles I had to face because oh, yeah. I didn't trust me. I was delegating every single decision, every de- actually every single feeling and thought probably to someone else because mm-hmm. I didn't trust my own. Yeah, completely. That's the, I was exactly the same. I, I've had um, low self-esteem and this, and this constant self of say, uh, this constant sense of self-hatred for years. And I can't, it's very difficult to shake it. I've just learned to, I'm not sure give myself a break is the right terminology. Maybe I've just learned to stop listening to myself a little bit. (laughs) Um, But yeah, it's so difficult when you're right. You're, you're your own worst critic and Mm -hmm. you're, you, you're going through these things. You, why am I feeling like this? And it's, and then your brain will go to, because you're an asshole because no one likes you because you're supposed to feel like this. And you, then you're trying to argue with your brain, like, maybe I'm not supposed to feel like this all the time. And your brain's going, yeah, mm. you, you probably deserve it, don't you, really? I mean, maybe you're really terrible in a past life, and this is your punishment in this life. Or maybe this is karma for something you've done. And your brain goes through all these weird iterations trying to justify your own sadness. And it's just, sometimes you just have to go lean back and go, do you know what, I've got a chemical imbalance in my brain that has been amplified through certain um, instances in my life. And I'm dealing with them at a later stage as best I can. And the problem is we can only do the best that we can in whatever situation we're in. Yeah. And as you say, ignoring it, it becomes like that, you know, the cupboard in friends that Monica is ashamed of. Yeah, and very much one so. day you do have to open it and let the chaos out. Oh, completely and utterly. Because if you don't, it gets too much and you're going to get to a stage where something extremely silly will happen. And I, I, I use that. Um, that sounds quite flippant. Uh, but that's what happened to me is that I ignored this for so long, for so long, for so long that I tried to take my life um, when I was about 21. And uh, sorry, trigger warning. Um, and it was because I was ignoring everything. It was because I packed everything down. This is and just tried to get on with life, go to work and then come home, realize I'm sad, ignore the sadness, have a drink, watch TV, go to sleep repeat 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 and then the mo- it's just gonna it's gonna explode in some sort of horrible way it always is and there's no way to deny it and you need to really get in before that anything like that can happen to you and it's so important what, what kind of a person if you had to describe yourself when you were on that treadmill or hamster wheel of not facing it going to work drinking pushing it away yeah if you had to describe what kind of a person you were how would you how do you think you would have looked bernard black from black books but like a really shit version (laughs) (laughs) a version that no one would want to hang around with that wasn't funny um yeah it was so for anyone who doesn't know what he uh who he is what what's the sort of rough character description uh a alcoholic loner that hates everyone that doesn't want uh, anyone else's opinion or anyone else's time and thinks they're right about everything um and won't take help from anyone that kind of uh very cliched uh idea of what it is to be a man with emotions by which i mean you don't have them you bury them down and get on with work because uh, one of those characteristics might be that people might not want to come that close to you when one is acting so. like that yeah exactly so when you are kind of it, it's a cycle of self-destruction you get into because if you don't like yourself you don't treat yourself the way that you 
deserve to be treated. You treat uh, well. No, that's wrong. You you treat yourself the way you think you deserve to be treated. So you punish your body, you punish your brain, and all these different things because you're inflicting yourself. It's a type of self harm. You're trust trying yeah. to punish yourself for the way that you feel inside. And one of the um, symptoms of that is that you do end up pushing away friendships and relationships and all these different things because you're on this path of, well, I feel sad, and I, but I'm supposed to feel sad. So I'm going to do these other things that make me feel sad because that's my default. And yeah. it's so difficult to get your way out of that and go, do you know what? I, I don't have to live in this weird little bubble of sadness. There is a place out there that's just, it's not even happiness. It's just fine. And I think a lot of us find getting to that fine bit not as a, a, a reward. And it's kind of like, do you know what? If you're fine, you're doing really bloody well. It's not all about paradise and feeling great all the time and feeling like you've taken a bunch of, I don't know, care or something like that. I've never done ketamine. <laughs> don't do drugs, kids. Um, but it's just about feeling okay. If you can get five minutes in a day where your brain's not telling you off, then you're in a good place. Well, okay, so let's move on to uh, what, uh, how you got to that place. And was there a moment when you thought, oh, I'm fine? But it wasn't a big Hollywood <laughs> ending moment. It was just a, oh, thank, thank, thank heavens. Yeah. I'm fine. <laughs> well, the thing, interestingly, this is quite recent for me. Um, I had a very tough year last year. And. Um, no, it's, it's absolutely fine. It's one of these things, ups and downs. But I'd been on the same medication for years and years and years. And I um, couldn't get therapy through the NHS because the waiting list was so long and I was having a really bad time. And luckily, I managed to get um, go private through my work, which I know a lot of people can't do. And I was extremely lucky about that. Um, and I got put on some new medication and been given a new th form of therapy and started kind of bringing lessons I learned from therapy into my everyday life, not treating myself so badly. And... I think for the last five or six years, I hadn't had a single day where I hadn't had suicidal thoughts. And I, I remember talking to um, Lex, my wife, uh, a couple of months ago, and I said to her, does everyone think about killing themselves all the time? And she went, no. And I went, is that weird? And she went, yeah. And I just thought it was something that everyone did. And I was like, oh, right, this is, this is a bad thing. Um, so that was what kind of spurred me off to go on this new journey of recovery. And... I was sat on my sofa a few weeks ago and I just thought to myself, I can't remember the last time I thought about that. Can't remember the last time I thought about it. And it's the first time in years that I think I've managed to be able to do that. And it's, it's the, that nice realization that it's not in the moment you go, Oh, actually I'm fine. It's you go bloody hell, for the last few weeks, I haven't felt shit. And mm. it's returning to returning to normality. And it, it's, it's a brilliant feeling, but it's, it's a lot of hard work. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, it takes a lot of, um, I think some, and forgive me if I start rambling at any point, you can cut me out of this no, podcast, no. it'll be fine. Um, <laughs> one of the things people don't tell you about mental health recovery is a lot of trial and error. Um, you are going to find therapists that you don't like. Therapy is a lot like dating. It takes a, a, a long while to find the one that's right for you. Um, mm. You're going to get remedicated over and over again. I, I've been on loads of different types of medication, and I think... This time round, this was the third, fourth, actually the fourth different type of medication I tried before I started feeling any, any effects from it. Um, and you're going to have to try loads of different things. Um, to, like, the, I suppose, getting into mindfulness and wellness and all that sort of stuff is, is a different conversation. But it looks different for everyone. 
what relaxes mm. one person relaxes someone else and you have to try all these different i mean i've tried oh, i've tried everything i've tried painting my numbers i've tried yoga i've tried adult coloring <laughs> books i've tried meditation all this sort of nonsense um and none of it really stuck for me um but yeah it's a lot of trial and error and i think that's where i got to this this time and it, it took a long time and i actually just kind of a couple of weeks ago just went do you know what this is fine <laughs> Sorry, that was a really long No, no, no. It's it's interesting what you say about finding a therapist because I was incredibly lucky. I found somebody who I oh, I was in a desperate state, so I was uh, happy to be speaking to anybody. But after about six months, I realised not only did I really like her, I felt that she liked me. Yeah. And we had a great uh, we had a great. Uh, therapeutic relationship but then I read Kelly Osborne's book I don't know if you've read it oh, I haven't read it it's on my pile of books that I have bought that I am yet to read I think you might find it quite interesting because if you have a preconceived idea of what Kelly Osborne is like or who she might be the book blows the entire thing out of the water she is incredibly yeah. emotionally intelligent and she talks about um if you don't get on with your therapist ask for another one yeah and you have to you have to shop around slash date to find the right therapist Really? And I know people who have taken the leap and you know what it's like that first time you make that call. You're like, I think I need therapy. You don't want to have to shop around. You want that to be a fix. Yeah, completely. And absolutely. it's so hard if you're like, I think this guy's a tool. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, my first therapist I ever went to said on my second session, if I was you, I'd be depressed as well. Um, Wait, so, what? Yeah. Uh, so I was kind of like, oh, right. This isn't what therapy is. You're a bad therapist. This is not a good therapist. And I've what kind of therapy is that? It was, it, I think it was CBT. And I think he was just being mean to me to try and get a reaction. But it was a very weird thing to say. But it, like, it's, game, that one. Yeah, I think it, it's just it's so difficult. I, I, I've had so many. And I do the thing that you were saying as well. I was like, I really want my therapist to like me. <laughs> Or just to, like not hate me. I think yeah. yeah, I didn't realize until yes, I didn't realize until about six months in. Yes, I wanted her to like me, but then when I realized, I think she, I think she actually does. And yeah. I've been in here and I've said some, I've said some crazy shit. <laughs> she still seems to not, you know, grimace when I walk in the room. What a yeah, win! I think. Yeah, I mean that's the what you want from most relationships in life, to be honest. Yeah, look at me and my standards. <laughs> Low self-esteem, anyone? Oh, yeah. um, I also did want to, uh, before we talk a little bit more about recovery, which I think is really important, and I, mm -hmm. I do think that you're so right when you say it's hard work. I also think it, I always, I always say to people it's not linear because I think it's really important to Absolutely understand not. that too. But I wondered in your book, the front of the book is actually all about having a panic attack. Mm -hmm. And I wondered if you might be generous enough to explain what that has felt like for you. Because yeah. um, when I first had it, and I think a lot of people get this feeling, I genuinely thought that I was going to expire. Yeah. Sorry, I thought... <laughs> um, <laughs> no, completely I was being not. dramatic. Yeah. <laughs> um, I thought I was having a heart attack. I didn't mm. know what it what it was. Um, I'd never. Uh, I think I had my first panic attack about five years ago, um, and I was just in the kitchen doing the washing up. And um, Lex has a uh, had a cup which was I've forgotten what it was now. It was My Little Pony. It was My Little Pony. Yeah, it was. Oh yes, because I have to 
to, uh, I, in the book, I make sure I say that it's not my cup. Uh, yeah. It wasn't my cup. Um, and I was just washing it up and I dropped it. And I think, well, at the time I didn't have time to think because the moment it hit the floor, I just, I felt, I thought I was going to die. I thought I just had a heart attack and my, my chest was pounding. I couldn't breathe at all. Uh, my arm, my arms and legs started to go numb because obviously my blood is rushing around my body trying to get to the heart because that's pumping so much. I crawled onto the floor and just put my head into my knees, started crying, and just I just didn't know what the fuck was going to happen. About ten, it lasted about ten minutes, um, and then after that, I think I, I, I've had quite a few, usually on public transport in busy places because those um, were very much um, it was uh, too much stimulus uh, going on. And then it would be very much, it wouldn't so much be the numbness, but it was that, it felt like you're sinking. It's a really bizarre, panic attacks are so individualistic as well, because they feel different for everyone else, but it feels like you're being dragged through the floor um, by these really heavy weights. And it's just, it's crushing every bit of you. And all you can do is try and breathe. And the most annoying part about... um, a panic attack is forgetting how to breathe, which is something that we do on such a usual basis. It's just, it's completely, we don't even think about it. But during that, you're going, how do I breathe? How does breathing work? What do I do? Which one, which, ah, no. And it just, it, you can't catch your breath whatsoever. Um, so I Googled it afterwards and I, cause I was, I got up off the floor and I was kind of like, what the fuck was that? Um, cause I didn't want to ring anyone cause I terribly British. I've got through that. I don't need to bother the emergency services with it. Um, yeah. And it, it, it turned out to be first ever panic attack. Um, which was awful. But what I have learned since is how to identify when I can see them coming on. And that's all about identifying what kind of triggers your, you, um, your anxieties. And I know there's been several times now where my main thing was being on a crowded tube train uh, Mm. because there's no escape. It's completely out of my control. Um, And I could feel it. I could feel my breath um, shortening. I could feel my heart thumping louder. And I would I I, I count on my fingers. uh, One, two, three, four. And I try and get my breath in time with that. And I know Mm. the next stop I can get off. And that's how I, I just you have to sit with it and you have to go, right, this is happening. This probably mm. is going to happen in about five minutes. How do I make it not as horrible as before? Um, yeah, sorry. No, no, it's interesting because it is. It's a little bit like a volcano. but And I think yeah. once you have one, you never want to have another one. No. But not. you, I think, are so tuned into it that the next time it begins to happen, you just, well, yeah, you just shed everything and if you had to describe I know this is a bizarre question but you'll see where I'm going with this if you were your response to a panic attack if you could describe an animal in the wild that adequately reflects how you physically deal with it how would that be and I'll explain why I'm asking that question because for me I'm an armadillo so the Um, second I feel it even if it's at a busy party it's just yeah I'm I am not even there I'm in the room the energy around me is black and it's just, you. I am just, I have to get out of that space. And I can't talk to anyone. I can't look at anyone. It's just, I have to remove myself. Mm. I was going to go with either armadillo, but I think I'm going to go with um, bearded dragon. Uh, because have you seen the way that they run it, when they are in, um, uh, when they're running away from a, pr- a predator? So Is it a bit like... Yeah, it's, it's all limbs. 
It's mad limbs. <laughs> so that's me because I'm very weirdly proportioned where I'm about 30% body. The rest is all limbs. And it's just, it's absolutely, it's like one of those um, wailing tube mans you get outside car dealerships. <laughs> but with screaming and crying. Uh, so yeah, it'd be that. <laughs> so you're not afraid of your well I in a way I wish I was like that because I think when when somebody is like that I think it elicits sympathy far more or far more quickly yeah. than oh Emma seems like she's in a state of distress Aaron seems like he's in a state of distress whereas when you become an armadillo as in a force 10 bit shield is mm-hmm. sudden has done up, suddenly gone up around you people aren't so eager to be like you're okay hon like, yeah myself, you bitch <laughs> <laughs> No, it's just I, I'm I'm very much the um, flight when it comes to fight or flight. <laughs> interesting, interesting. Okay, so that I do think it's helpful for anyone who might have felt that before and thinks, "Oh God, I don't I don't really know what happens." So thank you for sharing that because I know that it um, it's sometimes tough to revisit. It, it can be, yeah, but and I think it's important to know uh, you you really need to go through it as well. Once you've had one, it's worth just mm. writing down what you felt in that time uh, and keeping that just in the back of a notebook or something that you keep in your bag just mm. so next time you feel like it might be happening you remember those symptoms that you went through before and you can go right that's how this felt last time let me start thinking about this let me start thinking about breathing let me start thinking about where i am um and try and get yourself to a somewhere safe I know we've talked about how it feels, how it felt for you, how it felt for me, but I um, had a conversation with a friend who I hadn't seen for a little while towards the end of last year. And during that conversation, I suddenly realised what my anxiety, depression, my mental health issues had looked like to the outside world. Mm. And it hadn't looked like mental health issues. It hadn't looked like I was struggling. It had looked like I was wallowing. I was a victim. I wasn't helping myself and those aren't necessarily characteristics I want someone to think about when they think of me did you ever have one of those moments where it got reflected back at you and you've got a sense of what your behavior and how you had been had had looked to the outside world yeah very much so and it, it, it was becoming like a recluse almost um not having many friends because I, I, I losing friends because I wouldn't go out because I was too nervous to go to busy places. I was too busy mm-hmm. to meet people. I was so worried about what people would think of me. So I'd keep cancelling. And then people obviously, once you cancel a certain number of times, people go, all right, he obviously doesn't like us. So it was mm-hmm. reflecting, giving people that this kind of weird sort of uh, maybe seem arrogant or rude. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the main things with, um, mental health problems for people that are seeing it from the outside is a lot of the symptoms can look very rude and it's not you're you're just trying your best in whatever situation and usually it's very kind of um reactive emotion so like i get a message from someone do you want to go out i'm really sorry i can't i don't have anything else to do but i just don't want to because i'm worried that i'm going to embarrass myself how am i going to get there all these different things um so i think mine was very much this kind of loner um this rude loner that didn't have time for anyone uh, which wasn't true and I was so so upset about not having friends and and not going out but then at the same time being so terrified of having friends and going out stuck in this horrible mm. limbo um, and it's it, it paralyzes you it, it's it's one of the things that happens and you get stuck in this place where you're not the person that you wanted to be and it, like you were saying then it's like that's that's not how you saw yourself 
And I never saw myself like that. I, I always thought I was, well, I never thought I was a decent person, but I didn't think I was a wanker. <laughs> <laughs> and I think as well, I, I, I have done exactly the same thing. If somebody texts me and says like last minute, especially, Emma, do you want to come to this thing tomorrow? My first reaction is, what excuse haven't I used recently on them? <laughs> <laughs> and so now what I have to do, because that's just self-sabotaging, I want to spend yeah. time with them. It's not that I don't, it's that I'm scared of the journey there and I'm scared of who we might see when we get there, yeah. a stranger. But now I have to immediately type back yes, send it, and then supplementary answer of, why, what's happening? <laughs> yeah, it's fighting that fight or flight thing. The moment just you feel it. so hard. It can be really difficult, but the moment you start, you learn, like you say, to start doing that, giving yourself. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. The opportunities, putting yourself in these situations that you don't want to. And that's what CBT is. Um, and it's the only way that you're going to be able to help yourself in different in situations like that. And speaking about CBT and things like that, and we've talked about getting a diagnosis, um, I we are talking about mental health more than we have probably ever talked about mental health before, not just you and I, but generally. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it, which I think can only be a positive thing, but I have definitely observed uh, uh, something that I have noticed that isn't particularly helpful. And the reason why I bring this up, and I this isn't the first time I brought it up in the show, is because in some ways I want someone to correct me and shout me down and tell me that I'm wrong. So feel free to be that person. But I see a worrying, um, I don't know if it's a trend, but uh, sometimes a diagnosis, and I know you said this in the book, I saw it as, oh, well, I know where I am now. Yeah. I was lost. I'm told I'm in Scotland. I want to get home. i got to go south. Amazing. So I saw it as a starting point, but I've definitely observed this idea of my mental health diagnosis is now who I am. Yeah, indeed. It's, Which it's I think a, can be worrying. It really can. And it's, it's, it's incredibly dangerous as well. If you let your one aspect of yourself define the entirety of who you are. I've always thought about it as I'm a person that's, um, that lives in spite of depression. I'm not a depressive and because the moment you can clarify that you are not just one thing, mm. it, it helps you realize that it's just a, a tiny aspect of yourself. If you completely bury yourself in it and it's all you talk about, it's all you read, it's all you listen to, it, it's going to be it's going to do so much worse for you than accepting that it's a it's a tiny part of you. Yes, it can feel like it is all of you, but you are such a complex creature 
there's so many different parts to you and that is just one little bit that sits in the corner and it's a gross corner and we hate that corner and we want to set that corner on fire but there is this <laughs> the rest of the room is actually quite nice um and it's i i <clears throat> sorry it, it it's um, yeah, I think I'm going to end on that nice bit. <laughs> okay, because it feels almost even when you were speaking then, I had this image in my head of like life is spinning plates. And yeah. what that can do is that you're just spinning the one plate and you're to hell with the others that are all smashed on the floor. Exactly. And then that means that when you do end, take a step back, you've got a massive cleanup job because the rest of your life is in need of a lot of care and attention all at the same time. Yeah, and you're just putting more pressure on yourself afterwards. What should be, which what will be a hard journey when you get to, well, you never get to the other end or the end of it. Really, you get to a stage where you got to live in spite of it, and you can actually mm. perform as a human being again. You don't want to get to that stage and go. I actually now the rest of my life is all to shit. Now mm. I have to sort all that crap out because you're just making your own recovery so much longer. It's 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 important to 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 be honest with, mm. about your mental health and to know what it's doing to you and how it's affecting you, but never, ever let it be the one thing that defines you as a human being. Do you view recovery in the way that uh, they do in alcoholic recovery, where they say, I'm an alcoholic, even if they haven't touched alcohol for many, many years? Would you say that about depression and anxiety? I am yeah. somebody, that's me, but I take one day at a time. Yeah, yeah, I'm somebody that lives with severe depression and anxiety, and it's shite. Um, but I, I learn to deal with it, and I, I, I know every single day that it's in the back of my head, and it's, it's always going to be there. Um, and I'm going to try and make those voices as quiet as possible, so I can function as a human being. But it's not something that I know is going to be cured. It's not something that I'm going to wake up one morning and it's going to be gone. Um, it's the way that my, it's the way that our brains are wired, um, mm. which is a massive evolutionary fuck up. Um, but it's not our fault. It's our ancestors. <laughs> yes, those swines. Yes, bastards. <laughs> and also you talk in the book, and I, I really want you to speak about it because the audience who listen to this podcast are 90% female. Hi, everyone. I'm and so sorry. <laughs> no, I feel that um, the way you talk about uh, gender and mental health is really interesting and almost the fact that you are a dude. It, it's it's quite nice for me as a woman reading the book when you talked about it to actually hear it from hear it laid out the way you did so there is a predisposition for what one in two of us have you're going to have to say the figures because I've now completely blanked but more women than men seem to suffer with mental health yeah and that's when you get to the statistics of it unfortunately because women are more likely to be able to open up and admit that there is a problem and also um there was a psychological study in a university in the 90s in America, the names of all of which I've forgotten, my apologies. Um, I can put them in the notes. Um, but basically, it looked at friendship groups and it said that women are a lot more likely to speak to their friends about these things before they go and speak to a doctor um, because women have tighter friendship groups than men. Now, that is true on the one part, but I think it's more because um, historically women have been more emotionally intelligent than men. And we're now getting to this stage where men are allowed to be a little bit more emotionally intelligent or not even allowed, but uh, uh, finally seeing that they can be and they can discuss these things with their mates, which is definitely something that wasn't around when I was in my early 20s. Men didn't discuss those sorts of things. You didn't discuss your feelings. What's wrong with you? Um, 
But so, so when you look at the kind of national statistics of more women are diagnosed with anxiety and depression per year than men are, but that's because they're actually going out and getting diagnosed. Um, I reckon, I think the, the, the statistics would be probably about 50-50 if mm. more men were willing to actually go out to a GP and admit and talk about these things, um, which is, it, it's really interesting. And then you kind of look at the whole kind of how gendered mental health problems have been in the past anyway. I mean, the reason it's like the sorry, the reason it's called um, people are hysterical. It, the, the terminology from that is just mm. is feminine, and it mm. comes from these ideas of back in the day when um, women were encouraged to take anti-anxiety medications all the time, um, uh, a lot more than men were, and it just became a fad in America and then in the fifties and the sixties where everyone was popping pills, and it was kind of became this very normal thing for women to do. And the men were just angry alcoholics and no one knew why, um, even though obviously self-destructive tendencies and violence are um, symptoms of mental health problems. And yeah, so it's, it's, it's fucking banana pants, but (laughs) I'm just getting visions of Don Draper and Mad Men basically. Exactly. Yeah. That kind of weird stereotypical vision of it all. However, over the last, I'd say probably five to 10 years, it's it's really changing where men are actually talking about their emotions a lot more. And obviously one of the big things about that is representation uh, because you see Bruce Springsteen, you see Prince William, Prince Harry talking about these things and, and men can actually start discussing them because they know that their peers are discussing it. Um, and sorry, I lost my train of thought there. Yes. That's um, absolutely. <laughs> no, I was going to ask you about you have the, and you referenced it in the book, you have quite a mocking tone. Like yes. you're not afraid to uh, make a fool of yourself and the experiences that you've had in order to make those experiences accessible to somebody else to potentially oh, help them. Absolutely. And I wonder, you have a, I think you've got a great vocabulary around it. I, I really understand it. And I wondered if, um, one of the things I found when I started to explain to the people closest to me that I was struggling, and I don't know if you had this, but I was stunned that they hadn't noticed, they hadn't realised. So yeah. when I then started trying to explain it, and I felt like I still, they still weren't really getting it. I, I, it, it, it does, it does feel a little bit like shouting your deepest thoughts and feelings into outer space, and nobody can hear. And I wondered if you ever stumbled across a strategy of how to communicate with the people closest to you, quite how as much as you're mocking yourself, quite how serious this, seriously this was affecting you. Yeah, I think it's quite difficult. So I, I work as a comedy writer full time. Uh, so my default is to make jokes about it, um, which really helped because I, for me, making fun of it made it feel a lot smaller than it actually was. Mm. You can take the piss out of it and um, it made it seem a bit more accessible and a bit more something I could deal with a lot easier. But when it kind of came to the serious side, I've not, I'm really bad at being a serious person. Um, and having those discussions, I found extremely difficult. Um, I think the first time I wanted to discuss it properly with my wife, I wrote it in a blog post draft and sent that to her because it was easier than actually discussing it. Um, although I have over the years, um, since I was in my mid twenties, had, um, this thing with my friend, Tom. Uh, who's also suffers with mental health problems. Um, we've had a rule called the emergency pint rule, uh, which is if you text the other person saying emergency pint and the name of a pub, 
you drop whatever plans you've got and you go. And that is the one time you get a completely blank slate. Usually the other person just rants for about an hour um, and talks. You don't really need to reply because it's just getting out there. Um, and it's really helpful. And I think everyone should have it. And I think you should just be able to go to see a friend. The friend doesn't even need to say anything. They don't need to give advice. They don't need to solve your problems. You just need to spill it out. It all needs to come out. Because the moment you start talking about it, the more you articulate it in ways that your brain can understand. You're not just keeping it all inside. You're actually mm -hmm. making sense of it. And you will probably come to your own conclusions. It's like when you see a therapist and they get you talking and you go, oh, yeah, well, I guess it's probably because of this. And they go, yeah, well, like, oh, what am I paying you for then? <laughs> There's always a wonderful moment in therapy where you go, oh, was that a breakthrough? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> terrifying. Breakthroughs are terrifying as well. But, um, yeah. Yeah, and I, I, it's... I. I honestly think it's just um it's it's hard to be serious with people it really is mm. um and it's difficult to have that kind of weird sit down conversation especially with like I think family members and and partners mm. um is a lot harder but now that there's so much more information out there um it's a lot of people have access to the ways that and the access to the languages and the ways that they should react to these sorts of things. One of the first things I did with, uh, when I was discussing this with my mum was I sent her Matt Hayes book because um, mm. I knew that she loves reading and I knew that she'd be able to read that. And she, and then she messaged me afterwards and said, right, this makes a lot more sense now. Let's have a conversation about this. So I gave her a bit of context and a bit of subtext there. Um, and I think kind of just making sure that you're, you're anyone that you're talking to, um, knows a little bit before you go in um but the thing is your friends will probably like i don't know if this was true with you but your friends knew, didn't think anything was wrong um well i think maybe and obviously i have to take responsibility for this but they probably just thought i was a moaner <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of as simple as that really because i right. couldn't i couldn't rationalize anything so i was just always very upset at my lot and just whinged about it yeah when that doesn't and that and that is a real drain to be around and maybe that's where i had a bit more of a challenge because i would made a rod for my own back in how i'd already started trying to explain to people mm, yeah that's what true. was happening with me so yay me for making it harder <laughs> on myself than i needed to <laughs> look where you are now mate <laughs> um alone no <laughs> <laughs> No, that's because of current government guidelines, honestly. Yes, indeed. Um, but equally, something you said about emergency pint, which I uh, thought was quite interesting, is the fact that actually with that conversation, you didn't want anything in return other than the fact that that person knew that you needed to vent and you know that when you get the text, it's just like, I'm just going to sit here and listen. Yeah, and I think that's I, – also, I know I keep saying, uh, starting all of my sentences with, I think it's really important, but oh, I, I haven't noticed. Really <laughs> um, no, I will. I'm not going to say it again now. Um, <laughs> but it, it's, it's really important. There we go. See? Damn, fuck. Um, <laughs> the, the person that you're talking to realizes that you're not there for them to fix all your problems. Mm. They're not looking for advice. They're not looking for you to say something that's going to solve all of their problems. They just want someone to listen. Mm. They just want someone to be a bit sympathetic um, and understand. And that's it. And where, really, where... Sorry. I know we've talked about fine, being fine, but there are first steps that need to be taken in order to get to a point of fine. Oh, and yeah. if you could if you could sort of rattle off what you think, if someone's listening to this and they're like, do you know what, I'm nowhere near to fine and I want to get there. Like, 
what are the best walking shoes to get there in your mind? Sit with your emotions. So like I was saying earlier, why are you feeling the way that you're feeling now? Is there a reason for it or is it an emotion that's happened out of the blue? If there's a reason for it, why has that made you feel this way? And then you can kind of start sitting with it and go, right, I'm going to start avoiding that or I'm going to go this way. I'm going to start doing that. And being honest with about how you're feeling. Don't ever hide what emotion you've got. If you feel sad that day, have a sad day. It's absolutely fine to have a sad day. It just means that you'll be sat on the sofa um, eating popcorn, watching Netflix, which is fucking ideal. Obviously, we've got responsibilities and stuff, so sometimes we have a sad day. But you do have to actually act as a human. But in those moments that you have got to yourself, acknowledge how you're feeling. Don't just press it down and mm-hmm. go, right, I need to feel like I need to everyone to think I'm really happy all the time. Um, and then I, I think that the, the thing that really helped me was being nice to yourself, which was something I never did in my 20s at once because um, I hated myself and I, I hated every part of me. So I punished myself. Take moments out of your day to do something nice for yourself, even if it's just obviously like going for a walk, which we all have to do once a day now anyway. Mm. Um, But like get a brand of tea you like for a special occasion or like I've got some I've got four beers in the fridge, um, which are um, a really nice make that I like. And I'm going to have one, I don't know, maybe tomorrow night and then one next week. And I'm just going to treat myself and do nice things Um, do things you enjoy. Not everything has to be for any particular reason and it's not elvis juice is it no it's not it's tiny rebel oh okay sorry and you were about to say (laughs) um yeah and give yourself a fucking break i I, mean (laughs) you've said a couple of times sorry we do listeners will be able to hear it there is a wee delay but um Uh. The, you've said a couple of times very comfortably and it just rolls out off your tongue. I hated myself. But there comes, like, once you, when you realise that, I think, I don't know about you, but um, and you've even said it in the book, actually, you talk about the fact that going to events and you were paralysed by what other people who you didn't know might be there might think of you if they saw you. Mm-hmm. But it's quite, it's quite something to actually, and you said right at the top of this conversation about looking in the mirror and going, you're weird. But what about looking in the mirror and going, I hate you? Yeah. Do you, did that, was that a moment that happened to you? Yeah, yeah. For years and years. I, could, I, I, I hated that guy. Every time I saw him, I just, I, it wasn't angry, but it just, I, I felt it repulsed me. Um, which is a really weird emotion to have about yourself. Um, and it wasn't, mm. and it was, it was simply just, for me, it was, what are you doing with your life? Why are you wasting your life? Why are you here when someone else could be doing something better than you? What are you achieving? What are you bringing to this planet? You're doing fuck all. Why don't you fuck off? That sort of mentality every day, all the time. And it was, it was, it's horrible. And it's, it's very recently that I, that those thoughts have started drifting away. Um, and I think it's just because I expect so much of myself and I am learning to just take it day by day instead of expecting, I don't know what I ever expected uh, myself to be, what to do, but I'm a bimbler. I enjoy bimbling 
and I'll see what happens tomorrow. And I think all of us at the moment, as we're all stuck indoors, we're just Mm. taking everything day by day. And if you can get through today and if you can make one person laugh, then you've, you've done, you've done brilliantly that day. Um, and that's is that how you is that how you make yourself feel comfortable in a social situation? Because for me, in a social situation, if I can get someone to crack a laugh, then I can relax. Yeah, that's very much what I do. If I can get someone to laugh, I'm I'm good. Uh, I've had a good night. I could probably leave halfway <laughs> into the first pint if someone's had a laugh. Yeah, very much so. Um, also, uh, you talk about being hard on yourself, and I think that was probably the feedback that I used to get a lot, and I still do. I'm quite hard on myself. I set myself. Yeah. Uh, quite big goals Uh, do you think um, that was how people would have said was that what people used to say to you before you understood what was going on before you had a diagnosis would people just sort of flippantly say you're just so hard on yourself yeah completely honestly I think everyone that has anxiety has some sort of level of self-deprecation that they just build into their vocabulary it's so Mm. bizarre because you are so used to not um, liking yourself or not enjoying how your brain works you use language that makes you feel smaller um and like you're apologizing for existing around people um mm-hmm. i used to, i i do i still say sorry i must it, more than any other word i apologize for everything because i think i'm being a bother and mm-hmm. it's it's a really weird mentality but unfortunately it's something that anxiety and mental health problems just bring to the forefront you want to apologize for existing all the time so you talk yourself down you talk you belittle yourself like I don't know about you, but if someone was to give you a compliment, how would how would you take it? Would it make you feel good or would it make you feel awkward? Always awkward. And sometimes yeah. I, even on this podcast, I've recorded some episodes via video recently and a couple of, well, one guest said a couple of really nice things about the podcast. And I listened back and I just thought, you didn't even make a sound. You just <laughs> waited for it to be over, which makes you sound rude. When <laughs> all are. I need to do is just say... Thank you so much. That's really kind of you to say. Yep. It's so bizarre that our brains don't think like that, isn't it? That our immediate reaction is to go into ourselves. They must be talking about someone else. They must. They can't. They must be lying. Um, instead of oh, going, yeah, exactly. accepting it. They're just saying it because I'm here. <laughs> it's just like it yep. is the most ridiculous thing. It is. And um, you also talked about being a bother. That was something that really used to weigh on my mind an awful lot. Yeah. And I'm going to choose my vocab really carefully here because we have already talked about this. So trigger warning, we have already talked about suicidal thoughts. I didn't have that necessarily, but I definitely wanted to evacuate to another life. I, I yeah. wanted to run away and go and live uh, <laughs> like something out of a chiclet book and go and uproot myself and go and live in New York and have a fabulous life because I thought that would, that was all that needed to change. I just needed yeah. a fresh start. But that's not necessarily the answer is it no not at all and one of the best quotes i've ever read and i always forget who um who said it originally but it's the fact that you don't want to die you just want to kill how you're feeling right now and it every time i now think about anything like that that's what i think is the Mm. fact that it's not that it's not a a, it's a temporary solution it's a permanent solution to a temporary problem Mm. um and it's you can get through it and there's help there and yeah do you somebody as well because as soon as I started being honest about it obviously other people might say oh yeah I I went through that at university or whatever and in my experience now having spoken about it for the best part of five years is 
all of the people I know, all of the most interesting people I know have had these battles. It's very character yeah. building. It is, definitely. It, it, it turns you into a, uh, a unique human being. You learn to endure shit and you learn to live with your a, a brain and a voice that constantly wants to you to not like yourself. And it will probably turn you into a bit more of an interesting person. It definitely turn you into more of a compassionate person because you know what misery and sadness is on a daily basis. And as, uh, as, as what usually happens with people with anxiety and depression, they are overly um, compassionate and um, altruistic. They want to look mm-hmm. after everyone else because they don't know how to look after themselves. They want to make everyone else laugh because they don't know how to make themselves laugh and all these different things. And it's, it's a way of, if you can put that out in the world, then maybe you've done something good. Yeah. And if everyone else is all right, then maybe I'll absorb that all rightness too. <laughs> exactly. That is exactly it. Um, also, uh, when, when I had Sarah Wilson, I don't know if you've uh, read Sarah Wilson's yeah. book, First They Make the Beast Beautiful, when she came mm. on the podcast, which was amazing, I had a lot of feedback from listeners that actually they didn't have what they would class as a mental health issue. But it, by listening to Sarah, they had understood somebody close to them. And in the way that we were saying earlier about, you know, I was trying to articulate to my family, trying to express how I was feeling. That was the gateway for a lot of people to be able to um, really understand someone close to them mm. and I wondered if there were if someone's listening to this and they're thinking oh I really want to um, help somebody close to me you might be able to hear a car alarm I think I can yeah. do I'm so sorry um, thank you for stopping the car. <laughs> um, are there any things that were ever said to you that were very unhelpful I had oh would you just stop seeing everything is so black and white and just stop being such a misery that's a good one that'll sort it mm. out yeah, that, fixed it. It was in a yeah. crowded uh, railway station, so it was great. Perfect. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I'm sure there have been loads of times. It's that perfect man up, get a grip sort of situation. Um, yeah, I've, I've I've had all of those thrown at me uh, mm. over the years, um, which are all deeply unhelpful. And there's not really any way of educating the other person as well. You can't turn around and go, actually, what you'll find is that I have a uh, mental health condition that I'm trying to figure out. And your comment was entirely unhelpful because you are generalizing. And here's the paperwork. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's just like, no, um, it's, it's so important to try and educate these people through different ways of um, doing it. But ranting back at them usually isn't the right way. It's usually and it's what is happening now is it's a sociological change. It's the fact that the media is interpreting it differently. The fact mm-hmm. that it is a bit more everywhere, that it is more accessible, that it's spoken about in like Teen Vogue and and uh, NME and all these different things that the y- younger people, younger generations, are getting to to uh, to read and to learn yeah. from. That's what's important. That's how change is actually going to happen. Um, yeah, and most people aren't just being sold the dream; they're being yeah. sold, which is what we used to get. Let's face yeah. it dream and all the magazines now they're being told there is yeah there is that but there's also this is normal too yeah they're getting sold reality if you get um i think one of the most important ones for for young people is when zane low came out uh, not zane low fuck's sake he was a radio one dj wasn't he uh one direction zane malik that's the one sorry i'm not very cool i'm not down with the kids um (laughs) He um, was talking about on his Twitter about anxiety and stuff like that. And that's a whole generation of people that hadn't had access to this sort of information before. And also, he leads the idyllic lifestyle that everyone wants. What's he got to have? Like, it's, it's, um, 
it's Robin Williams. It's um, he's got everything. He's got all the money. He's always happy. What's he got to be sad about? And mm. people, I think that was a, a massive change for the way that people saw mental health problems is the fact that he wanted to make everyone else laugh because he didn't know how to make himself laugh. And, and that it's, it's, it's horrible that it takes like big stories like that to change perceptions. But the moment we can get bigger stories, big, like people talking about it just more openly in everyday conversation, it's not something that should be like a, right, we're going to go have a sit down for half an hour and talk about this important thing. It's just something that could come up in everyday conversation. Me and my friends, most of us have mental health problems and we'll throughout the conversation just say, how's your mental health been doing this week? Um, and just make it, build it into a, it, it's the same thing as have you gone for a run this week? It's, it should be just treated the same as physical health. Yeah, it's nice to, it's nice to check in. And I always do. I remember someone saying to me years ago who went to therapy. And at the time I, somebody years ago suggested I went to therapy and I thought that was them rejecting me. Yeah. They were saying, I don't want this problem. Pay somebody to be your counselor. Yeah. And I remember somebody saying to me, it's such a good investment. You pay for a personal trainer. Why wouldn't you pay for a brain trainer? Exactly. And also you're paying for someone that um, whilst your partner or your friend or someone will want to listen to you talk and want to help in any way they can. They're just, if they're recommending you go see a therapist, they're basically saying, I'm not qualified to deal with this problem. And I want you to get the best care you possibly can because I love you. And I want you to be the best that you possibly are. Mm. And I also want to uh, end, if we may, on what I hope will be a comforting note for somebody listening, which is um, recovery. And I think one of the most helpful things I was told is that recovery isn't linear. Bad days will still happen. And they're actually part of the process because you can observe that you maybe bounce back quicker or it's an afternoon, not a day or whatever it might be. And I just wondered if you had any had any uh, insights about recovery that you think might help somebody listening, like what to expect. Yes, it's hard work, but. Oh, uh, yes, it's hard work, but it's worth it. Mm-hmm. Um, it will take a long time. Uh, don't put too much pressure yourself to, you're not going to be cured immediately. It's not something that you snap your fingers and it goes away. It's, uh, it's boring. Um, it's weird. And at the end of it, you'll have a lot of stories that you'll laugh about. Like I, I think about now my recovery time, like not leaving my sofa for days and watching TV shows that I couldn't even remember. And it just, it, it seems like such a silly thing now. And obviously it's not silly, it's a very serious thing, but I can look mm-hmm. back on it now and go, I did that. I did the hard part. You get to the end of it and you, you get this sense of relief and satisfaction that you did the hard work and mm-hmm. you did something that a lot of people like find it very difficult to do and it's worth it. And people want you around. People want you around now, no matter how your brain is. And if you want to be around people, if you're going to be more comfortable after recovery, then use that as a goal, set little mm-hmm. goals and be nice to yourself. Give yourself a fucking break. You're always going to be the worst like critic to yourself. You're always going to judge yourself. Just tell that voice to fuck off for five minutes a day and uh, just do something just for you. Mm. And, and I think one thing I always do say with mental health um, recovery is be selfish. Mental health is inherently selfish anyway. It's very in, inward looking and it's difficult to think about anyone else. And you will feel guilty for doing something selfish. But do it. Look after yourself. You're the one person that's going to look after you. Treat yourself right. Treat the, treat yourself the way you want to be treated. Mm. And um, 
And if you ever need any sort of help, the mental health community online is fucking brilliant. And there are resources now and there are people to talk to and there are people that will slide into your DMs in a nice way, not Mm. in the gross way. (laughs) (laughs) Unless you want the gross thing as well, then people will do that as well. The internet's got everything for everyone. Don't want gross DMs. I really don't want gross DMs. I wish I just found a better way to sign off that last bit. It was going quite nicely until I fucking ruined it. (laughs) (laughs) No, uh, no, I, I, I enjoyed it greatly. Uh, it was it was fantastic. I've now just got an image of a DM list just full of um, unsolicited pictures of nether regions. Yeah, and then one in the middle going, are you okay? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and a cock sandwich. How lovely. <laughs> That's it. We, we're, we've peaked. We've ruined You're it. Not beat that. <laughs> yeah, no, we've ruined it. What could I say? Yeah. I'm so sorry. It's been so lovely to chat to you. I really appreciate um And I do um as my guests know, it always seems like I'm going to my guest and my listeners know it always seems like I'm going to my guests. You're so brilliant. But I'm so um I like speaking to people who I think are brilliant and your book is utterly fantastic so obviously the links for it will be in the show notes and I do think whether you are experiencing mental health issues yourself whether it's anxiety depression or whatever it might be or you're trying to understand another people I think it's an absolutely brilliant read it's one of the I'll say this it's one of the easiest books I've read recently like it's such a page turner Amazing. Thank you so much. Um, I, I will just do a quick plug. I'm not very good at them, but um, because, because the world is a bit shit at the moment, um, we dropped the price on Kindle to 99p so everyone could get it. Ooh. And if you do buy it, all the proceeds um, are going to Calm at the moment, oh, nice. which is the campaign against living miserably, um, who are a brilliant charity um, and you should look up anyway. I will put those links in the show notes. But, um, Amazing. Thank you. It really, Aaron, it really has been so lovely to chat to you. Thank, thank you, you so much. much. This, has been such, this has been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening. I do hope you enjoyed that episode. Please do email me on thebeautypodcast at gmail.com if you would like to get in touch with me. If you want to DM me on Instagram or Twitter, why not do that? It's far more informal. I'm at Emma Guns over there. And if you want to chat to me and thousands of other listeners to this podcast, please do click the link to join in the show notes, which can be found wherever it is that you are streaming and downloading this episode. Thank you so much for listening. I will see you on the next one. <laughs>